Well, it's June 3rd. You guys pumped to be in the house of the Lord this morning? All right. Uh, I'm Pastor Jake, uh, the lead pastor here. It's my honor and privilege to unpack the word for you and with you uh, today. And um, if you're joining us online or on on our online campus, just want to welcome you as well. Uh, There's somebody logged in, ready to chat with you and pray with you and for you if you need that, you want that. But jump on the chat and let us know where you're watching from and who you're watching with. We love that you're connecting with us on our online campus. Before we get into uh, the word today, I've got a couple of announcements, special announcements I want to say to you. How many of you got something from me or somebody this week saying that we had two special announcements? Anybody? Okay, some of you opened my emails. That's great. Um, You know, I think probably you should open your pastor's emails, but that's up to you, all right? That's totally up to you. Um, Jesus is angry if you don't, but whatever. Um, So yeah, two two quick uh, things, very important, but I got to run through them pretty quick because we're going to run out of time. One is that uh, about a month ago, we talked through uh, the vision God has given us uh, for Great Oaks, the 10 and 10 vision. You remember that? Uh, talking through uh, how God has called us to multiply his church and that uh, the vision, the goal is that we have 10 Great Oaks campuses in 10 years. So it's a long-term vision. That's 2028 when that would happen. And we talked about that, but it's kind of like get excited and then wait, right? Because we've got some prep to do. We've got some things to do. And, and so we told you that that we have been uh, engaged with a, a consulting firm helping us figure this thing out. We want to prepare. We want to launch a healthy sites, healthy campuses uh, from this campus. And so uh, we want to take our time in one sense, but also there's an urgency because uh, Jesus could come back tomorrow and there's a lot of people who need him, right? Um, and so there's that tension. But we talked about how uh, prevailing wisdom is that uh, a campus pastor, a person who is going to come and kind of lead the launch of this uh, second campus, this is our first campus, the second campus, uh, that, that, that we need that person here about 12 months before we launch that. Do you remember me saying that or something similar to that? And so um, our, our goal launch date is fall 2019. So that means we need somebody here by the end of the summer. And I told you we'd been looking for that person. So I'm excited today uh, to announce that we have found that person, God's man for the job. We've hired them and they're going to be here uh, August, July timeframe. And uh, they're probably watching online right now. So you got to get excited uh, when we say it. So it's Jesse Davis is who is going to come. And we're excited about that. If you are watching online, Jesse, Brittany, Logan, Lincoln, we are so excited about you coming to Great Oaks and and leading this campus. And so um, I know you don't know Jesse uh, from Adam, but you will get to know him and and his family. And uh, here in a couple hours after service, we'll have a Facebook post that gives you a link to their Facebook page so that you can Facebook stalk them and kind of find some things out. But don't only stalk them, also hit add friend and uh, send them a message to say we're excited that you're coming and pray for them and welcome them, okay? Isn't that awesome that God's providing? Super cool. So July, August time frame, they will be uh, here. The other thing I want to talk to you about is this uh, 
this little survey that we put on every other chair. If you don't have one of these, we need one per family, one to be filled out per family. So if your family needs one, there's not one next to you, a chair or two down, then raise your hand and the ushers will get you one. But uh, basically, this is about a third service. Right now we do two services, right? And uh, we, God is bringing growth to our church. Isn't it awesome to see what God is doing at Great Oaks and how we're growing and God is, is blessing our church? It's summer right now, uh, but still... God is still growing and blessing our church. And, um, and so uh, just a couple of weeks ago in one of our services, uh, you got to remember that these, in this area, we can take chairs away and add chairs, right? So you might not even realize it, but we're kind of playing with the numbers of chairs all the time, taking some away, adding some. So we can kind of set up and tear down in here. Not so in our kids' ministry, right? Even though we have a big kids' wing, plenty big, uh, our kids' ministry is sometimes uh, close to capacity. Actually, a couple weeks ago, it really was at capacity um, in our nursery. And so I think there were 132 babies. I'm not sure, but it was something like that. And they were like, organizing a revolt and it got, they got organized and it got chaotic in there. Okay. And so, uh, we don't want the babies and the toddlers to take over the teachers. If you're a teacher in there, you say amen to this, right? Like bring in, let's do something different. And so, uh, that is, is a pinch point for us for lack of a better term. And so, uh, that's happening, but also in our big room, we're full on a lot of Sundays. And so we're looking at third service options here. Um, and Pastor Chris, we kind of tasked Pastor Chris uh, with leading a team of volunteers to research what it would look like to do a third service. Do we need a third service? And he's the kind of, the, his team are the ones who found out some of this stuff. Uh, one of the biggest things they did, I think most impactful things his team did, was that they contacted a bunch of other churches in our area and some maybe outside our area that do third services, and specifically do third services at non-traditional times, Saturday night, Sunday night, Monday night, whatever. And so they contacted these churches, and we wanted to get all the information to see which service time God would have us choose. You track it with me so far? Okay, if you're not a part of Great Oaks, and you're like barely here, and you're from Alabama or something today, and you're going back, this is kind of like you just zone out, all right? But if you're, if this is your church home, I want you to listen and be a part of this. So, um, so we found out from those churches that some, some services that people would tend to say, hey, we need to do that time and that day are actually extremely hard on our staff and our volunteers. And that most of those uh, churches that did those would, would currently not do them if they had the option. They would kill that service and that service time because it was so difficult. It is so difficult for staff and volunteers. We also found that some service times that we thought would be really good at reaching new segments of people and lost people actually in the end don't reach lost people. Just church people come to those. And uh, so it's not as good as you thought it would be. And so all of this, not, not to mention researching our own numbers and philosophy and methodolo methodology, uh, Pastor Chris's team and our leadership team and our staff has said um, these three scenarios we're looking at right now um, are, are on your survey. And so what we want to hear from you is which mainly, the main thing here is which service would you go to within each of these scenarios? So you're circling three things. Are you tracking with me? Three times. We don't care if you like scenario two over scenario three all that much right now. We don't care. It's kind of harsh, but it's true. Okay, so no, I'm kidding, kind of. Um, 
So in each scenario, we want to know, like, hey, if, if they do decide on scenario two, then this is the one I'm going to go to. Okay, so three times each scenario, doing one per family. And then fill out the rest, too, really quick. Shouldn't take you long uh, because it tells us kind of who it is that, you know, numbers-wise, if you have 17 kids or you have no kids, uh, that affects the numbers as we look through this. So we're kind of looking at the numbers and polling you for that kind of stuff. If uh, the service that you think we should do in third service, if like your favorite service time is Monday at 3 p.m., you're like, why can't we do Monday at 3 p.m.? And you're super ticked about that, especially if you're super ticked that uh, your service time isn't on there, um, email Pastor Chris. So he's going to, Chris, you can write this down, Chris, uh, at greatoaks.church. So that's, that's what you can email, and you can just blast him with all of your anger and all of that. And he will then explain how they got to uh, this place, how we as a team got to this place. Okay, so seriously, you can ask us questions. I'm joking about the anger thing, but you can ask us questions, and we would love to explain and, and love to tell you kind of where we're getting this. So please uh, fill this out. If you need to think about it, it doesn't have to be like a for sure. It's not like you're signing in blood. Like if you show up to a different service, you won't be welcomed in. It's not like that. It's just kind of a survey to see where we think we might end up uh, with these three service scenarios, okay? So make sure you do that. And then if you could leave that survey, completed survey, on your chair when you get up to leave today, our ushers will, will um, take those up and, uh, and we'll be able to look at the results there. Everybody with me? Yep. One per family. Don't do like six surveys. That's going to mess us up, all right? One per family. Fill it completely out. The other thing about this um, is that if we do a full, God is bringing growth, and that's awesome, right? And, and lost people getting saved. We're going to do baptisms in a couple weeks, and we do baptisms every other month, and we always have people to baptize because God is saving souls, and God does that. Um, it's, it's him, not us, is what I mean. But um, in all of that, with growth comes some stretching. We need, we need more volunteers. Uh, we need, you know, if we do a third service, that means... We need, you know, half of the volunteers we have in kids' ministry right now, we need them again, right? 50%. We need another set of volunteers if everybody serves the same amount of time. And so if you're in here and you're kind of on the fence about whether God wants you to serve in the church, God wants you to serve in the church. <laughs> just, I thought you'd laugh at that because that's just ridiculous, right? <laughs> just ridiculous. Does God want me to first read the Bible, then... Um, then serve, begin to serve. If you're in a ministry where you could, you could serve, you go, I'm, I'm not overwhelmed, and I could maybe serve in kids' ministry as well, specifically kids' ministry, uh, then please do that. If you're not serving at all, we'd love to have you, probably love to have you. We're going to interview and figure out who you are first, but uh, probably love to have you in kids' ministry. Um, and we need the help because God is bringing growth. So we can't just all go, yay, God's bringing growth, but I'm not going to help with anything, right? We got to like jump in and get involved and uh, God will bless you and us for that. So if that's you and you want to serve uh, and help this third service happen, uh, then make sure you grab a volunteer packet uh, from, from the uh, Connection Central on your way out. Fill that out, turn it in, and we'll get you plugged in as soon as we can. Let's pray about these two things. So Jesse, Pastor Jesse coming, the, the Davises uh, coming at the end of the summer for our first campus launch that's going to happen next year. And then also this third service, God would give us wisdom and uh, bring the servants we need. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for the growth that you've brought to Great Oaks and that you are saving souls today uh, just like you have always been, just like your word um, depicts you as doing. So we thank you, God, for that. We know that it's you and not us. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your moving in our community and in our hearts and in our minds. 
And uh, we ask, Lord, that you would be with the Davis family as they uh, get ready to move here. Uh, God, that everything would be taken care of, selling houses and whatever else, Lord, all the, all the details. God, I pray uh, that you would be in that uh, and that, you know, even the leaving of friends and family, God, that you would encourage them in that and bring them here safely. And Lord, we pray for this third service. God, give us wisdom to choose correctly uh, the date you want this to start and the time uh, that you want it to happen. And uh, we're trusting, Lord, that it's not just going to be the, the number we have right now divided among three, but it's going to be even more, that, that this is going to allow us to reach more people for you in our community. And we're trusting you in that. We give all this to you and trust you in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, today we are jumping into uh, a series that will take us through mid-August, so through the summer, um, on the book of Colossians. And uh, the, the pastoral staff and I got together and we, uh, we did this like brainstorming session and we really got creative and uh, God was really moving in creative juices in our minds and we were thinking about like what should we call this, this series and we got real creative and so um, what we decided to call this series on Colossians is Colossians. You guys in for that? It's going to be, I knew you'd be pumped, all right? I knew you'd be pumped. So this is our Colossians series. That's what we're calling it because it's through the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bible, uh, you can grab it and head over to Colossians. Colossians. You guys are with me. Uh, And when we do a sermon series on books of the Bible, what can happen within specific sermons is that we can end up with a lot of truth to unpack and to throw out at you on a Sunday morning. Not because of how I write a sermon, but because of the way the Bible itself is is written. So sometimes uh, the verses we're going through all talk about one thing, one theme, and we can kind of hit that theme from different angles, that message from different angles, like I like to do uh, naturally, or I like to do uh, more often than not when I preach. Uh, but sometimes we're hitting like lots of truths, and we're throwing out a lot at you. And so today is one of those days. I'm going to throw out a lot of truth, and I'm just going to trust the Holy Spirit uh, to let that, you know, to make some of it stick, all right? So uh, that's what we're doing. So let me give you a little bit of a background before uh, we get into the first 14 verses of this book. You'll notice as we study any book of the Bible or any passage for that matter at Great Oaks that we believe um, that context is important as we study the Bible. Uh, biblical context, meaning uh, what do the verses before and after the passage that we're studying say? What do the books before and after, what does it say in the context of the whole Bible? All of that is important because um, I'm always trying to get you to, to realize that this is, uh, this is not 66 separate books that have nothing to do with each other. Uh, 27 New Testament, 39 Old Testament. It's not 66 separate books, but rather one cohesive story, one cohesive message from God to you. Not only cohesive, but relevant. And so it all has to do with one another. And we believe, I believe, uh, that to, to just kind of randomly throw the Bible and catch it and then just read um, a passage of Scripture uh, and then just kind of pluck that out and put it on our wall and put it on our Facebook and say this is whatever. And to study it divorced, I use that term on purpose, divorced from the context in which God wrote it, to do that is um, dangerous and not a good way to study the Bible. And so we believe very heavily uh, that context is important, biblical context, but also um, historical context. Uh, who wrote what we're reading? Who's it written to? When was it written? What was the theme? What was the purpose 
behind it. And so that all helps us understand better what we're reading. So Colossians is written by the Apostle Paul to a group of believers in a young church in Colossae. It's a small town, and Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. And what he writes are letters to churches. The seminary word for it is the Pauline epistles, right? Epistle means uh, a letter written to a church, and Pauline because it's written by Paul. I thought that was super easy. You guys with me? Pauline because it's written by Paul, right? Yeah, same three people said it. I, the other people are like, I'm just never going to say anything no matter what he says. I did not come to church to participate. This is, sorry, that, that was me mocking you, okay? Um, so Pauline epistles, and each of them has kind of a dominant theme. Uh, all of the Pauline epistles have a dominant theme. Romans is uh, justification by faith. Ephesians is the mystery of Christ and his church. Philippians is the joy that Christ brings. And Colossians, the theme, the dominant theme of Colossians, is the supremacy of Christ. The supremacy of Christ. The absolute supremacy of Christ above all things. He is the head of all things, including his church. Another way to say that is that Colossians is about the fullness of Christ. It's about how it's just Christ, that it's Jesus plus nothing. That's the theme of Colossians. Jesus isn't part of the answer. He is the answer. Jesus doesn't know some things. He knows all things. In Jesus, we don't just find hope for some situations, but we find hope for all situations. Your salvation, my salvation, it's not found in Jesus plus morality or Jesus plus this special knowledge or that special knowledge. It's not found in Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus plus nothing. The supremacy of Christ. In the, the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul is constantly trying to get us to lift our eyes off of this place and on to Jesus, who is at the right hand of the Father. The fullness of all things, the supremacy of Christ, to lift our eyes and focus on Jesus and the things that are above Jesus, who is above all things. And the reason Paul's writing this letter is because one of his disciples, a guy named Epaphras, had come to him from the Colossian church to say that there's some people coming into their church causing problems, some false teachers that are coming into their church. And there are all different kinds of false teachers. In fact, I would say if you yourself are engaged in activity that causes division in the church, you can put yourself into the category of false teachers. So I would be careful in that kind of a sense. But false teachers uh, in this sense, uh, in this time, uh, were Gnostics. Uh, in, in the Colossian church, there were Gnostic teachers coming into uh, the church causing problems. Gnostic, for those of you taking notes, the two or three of you taking notes, um, is spelled G-N-O-S-T-I-C, Gnostic. And uh, Gnostic means that you think you can know everything about God and that knowledge is the key to being saved. Okay, that's Gnosticism. Agnostic or agnosticism uh, means that you know a lot about cows because ag. No. Agnostic means you believe that you cannot know 
You cannot know anything about God, therefore you're not even going to try. That's agnostic. So if somebody says you're an, they're an agnostic, you say, how do you know? Right? I thought that was funnier than you thought it was. Gnostic means you, you know, you think you have the knowledge. These people thought they were people in the know, and so they would go around to different churches under the guise of helping lesser Christians to know the full truth, and they believed that they had that. They'd obtained this special knowledge about God, and they had this belief that the physical was separate from the spiritual, and the physical was inherently evil, bad, and the spiritual was inherently good, and so they believed that God could not have been involved in creating the world, nor could Christ have come to the world, because that would mix the physical and the spiritual, and that was impossible, they said. And so in the end, they believed that Christ was not the creator, the incarnation, God coming to earth through Jesus was not real, and Christ was not enough. So this is why the Apostle Paul responds by writing this very eloquent letter from prison about the supremacy of Christ. Jesus plus nothing. His point is that Christ is supreme over all things. Creation, church, reconciliation, mystery and revelation. A person's journey to God, their new self as they give their lives over to God. And even relationships, as we'll see at the end of Colossians, like family, marriage, work relationships. Let me just issue a quick warning here. Um, You and I, today, we are not safe from false teachers. False teachers abound. Everyone has their own truth. Our approach to God's word is rarely whatever I find there is truth and I will look at my experience, my life, base my life through the lens of what I find in the Bible. It's rarely that and it's more often we open the Bible like we open the newspaper or like we open some other book to decide if what is in there is actually true. And we look at the Bible through the guise or through the lens of our own experience and our own beliefs. And this is a dangerous thing that has happened in our culture, in the church as well as outside of the church. We're in the same position as the church of Colossae. False teachers are coming into our churches and saying, what you believe is not the whole truth. Let me enlighten you. Let me help you understand this. Yeah, it says that, but let me kind of help you understand. Let me enlighten you. They claim to have special knowledge, right, from culture, from science, from modern times that usurps and replaces the word of God. And in the end, declares supremacy over Christ. It's a dangerous thing. We, we, you and me, Christ followers, we have to stand We have to lift our eyes and focus on Christ. We have to dig deep into the supremacy of Christ and find our footing there. Jesus plus nothing. Truth is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Hope is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. We must stand. You with me so far? 
Okay, with all that larger context in mind, let me prime you for the first 14 verses here. There's a greeting, um, and most of this, though, is Paul praying about and for the church, and I think by extension, praying for you and for me. Paul has never been to the Colossian church before. It's a church planted by a church he planted, so he's, he's never been there. He doesn't know them very well. Um, so in this passage, he's praying for this church he doesn't know, and the Bible calls this um, intercessory prayer. It means that you're praying for someone besides yourself, but not just like Lord, help Grandpa and Grandma and Susie and Billy and our country, amen. That might be a start to intercessory prayer. But intercessory prayer, as the Bible unpacks it, the New Testament specifically unpacks it, it is being led by the Holy Spirit to pray for someone other than yourself consistently and constantly until their situation, whatever you're praying for, changes. Intercessory prayer is praying in such a sense that, that you feel like you're going through what they're going through. Putting yourself in their position. That's intercessory prayer. When we were in, uh, in China as missionaries, uh, we were there for about four years, and uh, there was this one time where I had, to, I had to go to a different city on the other side of the country for two weeks and um, to help a missionary get settled in uh, over there in and all that, and so I, I went there, and it's hard to explain this unless you've been, uh, unless you've lived in a country, a culture, a language uh, foreign to you um, more than a couple weeks, you know, like a year or more. It's hard to really explain this, but when you, when you do that, when you, when you live there, uh, things are difficult. It's not easy. Um, even daily tasks and stuff are just difficult. Culture shock is, is very, very real and very, very emotional, and and it's just kind of weighs on you. And, and when you're there for Jesus, um, you know, the, the devil is crouching at the door trying to use everything in his power to knock uh, the missionary, God's missionary, off track. And so um, it's in this time period, I was gone for two weeks, and Aaron was back at home uh, with our first uh, kid, our first daughter, Kennedy, and at that time, our only daughter. Uh, she was two years old, and so she was back at home uh, with her. And there's no other way to explain this except to say that Aaron uh, began to experience some spiritual warfare. Uh, she was being attacked in a very spiritual way, and it wasn't like it had kind of ramped up slowly, like it just came on all of a sudden, and she had these feelings of depression and, and deep loneliness and a feeling that she just couldn't do this missionary thing anymore, and, and it wasn't, it, like I say, it wasn't like it just happened slowly. It was like it all, the, all of a sudden happened. It was days like this, and I didn't know. I was off on the other side of the country, and, uh, but when she was just about to call me, she was kind of on the brink of calling me and saying, I'm going home. I'm going to the States. I'm, I can't do this anymore. She was that close to kind of giving up, at least uh, in the short term. And when she was about to do that, she all of a sudden, she felt this resolve come into her spirit, this determination. This, she started to hear in her head, like, no, I'm, I'm a daughter of the king. I'm an ambassador for Jesus Christ in China. God will give me everything I have need of in order to accomplish everything he has called me to accomplish. All this was going on in her, in her head, and 
she picked up her Bible and she began to pray. And she would say that she felt this, this peace wash over her. It wasn't like everything was fixed like that. It was, it was just that this truth and this peace came over her, this, this resolve that she was going to be okay, that she was going to get through this and come out on the other side serving the Lord. And she did. But we're talking about intercessory prayer today. So Aaron got an email a few days later from someone in America, not a, not a family member or someone we knew very well, just a, a, a lady in a church um, that supported us. We were on a list. She got our, our newsletters, that kind of thing. We didn't know her very well at all. And she said in the email that a few days before she was sending this email that um, as, she was, as she was sleeping, and remember that you know, China is 12 to 13 hours ahead of us, so what is this lady's night is Aaron's day and vice versa. And so um, she was awoken in the middle of the night and just had this unshakable feeling that she was to pray for Aaron Mills, this missionary in China. And she, she said she got up, she sent in this email, she got up and she, she just began to pray and pray and pray. Not like, please help her, all right, let's go back to sleep, but get up. And she prayed for a long time until what she said, that she felt this release, that God released her from praying anymore. And she got back in bed and, and, and went to sleep. And it was the exact day that Aaron was pulled out of the depths of some despair and given this resolve, this determination, and peace by the Holy Spirit. What was this lady's night was Aaron's day. What was this lady's prayer was Aaron's lifeline. What was this lady's obedience was Aaron's blessing. That's intercessory prayer. That's the kind of prayer that the Apostle Paul is praying for the church in Colossae and for you and for me by extension. Open the scriptures with me and we'll read it together. In Colossians 1 verse 1, we'll read the first 14 verses and I'll stop along the way explaining some things, throw some truth out at you, write down what you feel like the Lord is speaking to you about, and then we'll spend most of our time in the prayer itself And I think we're going to be out in about two hours. So verse 1 in chapter 1 of the book of Colossians, um, page 983. Paul, an apostle of of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Grace and peace. The Apostle Paul, he uses this greeting all of the time, in, or lots of the time, in his letters. Grace and peace. It's never, it's never peace and then grace. It's always grace and then peace. So just something to think about. Grace always comes before peace. In your life, in your walk with Christ, in your salvation, grace always comes before peace. And the the epitome of grace, when you think of the word grace, you should think of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for your sins to make you right before God, though you did not deserve that. That is the epitome of grace, okay? So to experience lasting peace, the peace that everybody wants, the peace that sticks around, not just the absence of hard times, but peace within the midst of hard times. To experience that kind of peace, you must first accept and experience God's grace through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Here's 
Here's why this is important and we pause to talk about it today. Everyone out there is searching for peace apart from grace. They want peace, but they're searching for it apart from grace. But grace, beloved, enables peace. Grace enables peace. There is no peace without grace. So in their quest, in your quest for peace, apart from grace, we will grab onto many things, material things, money, family even, sex, relationships, career. We'll grab onto many things in our quest for peace apart from grace, but none of it can provide lasting peace. And it's devastating, isn't it? When you reach out for something that you think will give you peace, only to find more heartache there. It's devastating. Grace before peace. Always. Just a side note to think about. Look at verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Four words I want you to look at, faith, love, hope, and then in a minute, truth. The first three, uh, faith, love, and hope, are kind of a a shorthand for what it means uh, to follow Jesus, to be a Christ follower. In the New Testament, over and over and over, it's kind of a shorthand. It's kind of like an acronym or an acrostic. It's not an acronym or an acrostic, but it helps you kind of, the, the New Testament writers use it as something that will help you recall what it means to follow Jesus. Faith, love, and hope. And those three things are, are, are those three ideas and concepts are presented many times in the New Testament and in different orders, right? But I like this order, faith, love, and hope. And so let's look at those words. It starts with faith, but faith in what? Verse 4, faith in Christ Jesus, right? In Christ Jesus. You see, our world um, believes in faith. Our world values faith. They talk about faith all the time. Everyone needs faith. You got to have faith. You just need to believe. It's like a charm on the charm bracelet to a balanced life. Authenticity is one. Self-confidence is another. Tolerance is another. Choice. These are all charms on a charm bracelet representing a balanced life. So our world says. And faith is one of those charms. It means you're okay. It means you have faith. You're going to be okay. You have belief. Everybody needs it. But faith in what? Faith in what? Belief in what? Listen, faith, faith has no value in and of itself. Faith has no value in and of itself. Faith's value is found in its object. The thing you have faith in. That's where its value is found. So what's your faith in? Amen, sister. Is it in yourself? Is it this ambiguous idea that you're a good person and good things happen to good people? Is your faith in the idea that it's all going to work out in the end? Is your faith in hard work? What's your faith in? If you're a Christ follower, you've drawn a line here. You're different than the world. Your faith is secure in its object, Christ Jesus. You see the difference? Faith, 
That faith in Jesus, it produces the second word I want to touch on, love. Verse 4, the love that you have for all the saints. There is no faith without love. You can say you believe that you have faith, but unless you have love in your life towards other people, you don't actually have faith. Love for your neighbor, your believe, the believers, other believers, the lost, your family. It's not true unless you have love for these people. Listen, faith in Jesus is, faith in Jesus is different than believing that there was a Jesus. I want you to hear that again. Faith in Jesus is, is different than believing that there was a Jesus. Okay? Um, we kind of think of it cognitively like, oh, I, yeah, sure, Jesus was real. Yeah. So I have faith. No. Faith in Jesus means that you put your life in Jesus' hands. You submit to him completely for everything in your life and the next life, eternal life. Faith, that's what faith in Jesus means. And when you put your faith in Jesus, every single time, it will produce love. You will begin to love people like Jesus loves you. You'll begin to love people that are difficult to love. When you put your faith in Jesus, your life changes, your priorities change, and this love comes. So faith to love. Then Paul says that this faith and love are made possible, verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. The hope laid up for you in heaven. As Christ followers, we have this hope that drives us. This hope that says this world is not the end. This life is not the end. That there is a God in heaven who has made a place for us. We have faith. We show love because of this hope we have in Jesus. This hope God has given us in Christ. We may get knocked down, but we get back up because we have this hope for a future, for eternity. We may not be able to see the end of a hard time. We may not be able to figure out how we're going to get out of this, but we have faith that we will because we have this hope that secures us to a future that is not here, that is somewhere else, that is eternal. We're able to love even the worst of people, those who have hurt us, betrayed us, because this is not all that there is because of hope this hope for eternity, this hope that is laid up for us in heaven. As Christ followers, our hope is in heaven. So you have to ask yourself, where's my hope? Where's my hope? Something to think about. Faith, hope, love. And then the Apostle Paul starts to talk about truth. Look at the rest of verse 5. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth. Of this, faith, love, hope, you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So the truth of the gospel being proclaimed, the truth of Jesus, the truth of God's grace, that's where this all begins. 
Remember, this letter is being written to a new church, a bunch of new believers who are being attacked by a false teaching group, a a group of false teachers uh, called the Gnostics, who told them that they didn't have all of the knowledge. They needed more knowledge, right? They're saying they don't have all the pieces, that they don't fully understand. So Paul is writing this, and he's going, you've already received the truth, all of the truth in Christ Jesus, There's no more truth to be found other than the truth that is in Christ Jesus. And and the world is being changed by this truth, the Apostle Paul says. He's going, the proof is in the pudding. Just look around. This truth has legs to it. It's doing things. It's, It's accomplishing things. You heard the truth, he said. You understood the truth. You learned the truth from Epaphras. Don't let these false teachers confuse you and convince you otherwise. Listen, beloved, truth, truth doesn't change with time, culture, or opinion. It doesn't. It remains the same. There is no relative truth. There is no your truth and my truth. There's only God's truth. And his truth stays the same throughout generation and throughout situation. It does not change. It's, it doesn't matter what your favorite talk show host says. It doesn't matter what your political party says. It doesn't matter what your cousin thinks or your son feels or your aunt has experienced. None of that affects truth, God's truth. Truth remains the same. So I'll say what the Apostle Paul said to the Colossian church, to you, the church at Great Oaks. It's already come to you. You've heard it. You know it. The truth has already come. You understood it. So don't don't let the enemy confuse you into thinking you don't have the truth. All right. Grace before peace, faith to love because of hope and truth. There's a lot in there, so... Hopefully you got something out of it. Now we're into the prayer in verse 9. The intercessory prayer, he's praying for the church there um, in Colossae and by extension you and me. So this group of believers, this new church is being attacked from the outside by these false teachers, the Gnostics, who are saying that they don't have everything they need for salvation. And so the Apostle Paul sits down in his prison cell and he begins to write a letter to combat these heresies and this attack from the Gnostics. He's with his apprentice Timothy and he's writing this letter and he writes about grace and peace and he writes about all that the, the, that's going on in the Colossian church and he reminds them of what they know already, faith, love, hope, truth. He does all of this and then he begins to pray. It's like it just kind of bubbles up out of him. He just begins to pray for these young believers. So just imagine him writing and just going, oh God, I pray that you would be with them. Oh God, I pray that you would give them this, that they would get this, that the Holy Spirit would be there with them. He just begins to pray in a jail cell with Timothy and he's writing some of his prayer down in this uh, letter to the Colossian church. These false teachers say that 
they have this special knowledge. So Paul says in verse 9 in his prayer, I pray that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will, God's will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So these false teachers had had this huge complicated system, this convoluted thing. You had to have like seven doctorates to understand. System upon system upon system. You just have to be really smart to get through this. It was a convoluted mess. Paul goes, no, 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 no. You don't need that. You don't need that. You need knowledge, yes, but knowledge of what? Knowledge of God's will. Listen to this, church. There's something here for you today. You seek knowledge. That's great. But what is the knowledge that you seek? You want to know how and why and when. But the Apostle Paul is going, no, 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 no. What you need to know is what? What's God's will? That's it. You need to know the will of God. What do you need to know? God's will. That's it. What is God's will? Know that and you'll be set. But imagine as the Apostle Paul is praying, he continues to pray and he goes, knowledge of God's will, yes, but also wisdom, Lord. Give them wisdom, but not just any kind of wisdom, God. Give them spiritual wisdom and understanding. Wisdom lives in many places, but spiritual wisdom lives only in God, right? You can be wise in the things of the world. These false teachers were wise in some respects, no doubt, but there is a difference between worldly wisdom and spiritual wisdom. Paul prays for spiritual wisdom for the Colossian church and by extension for you and for me. And then he continues, let that spiritual wisdom and that understanding of God's will, let it not be the end. He's going, let it lead to something, God. Let them walk this out in their lives. Let it lead to something. Verse 10, May they walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to God, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Let it not end with just knowledge and wisdom, but let them walk this thing out in a manner worthy of the Lord. We, we live in an interesting time, don't we? Um, we live in a time where even inside the church, Among those who would say they are Christ followers, we act like there is a disconnect between knowing and doing. Like those two things aren't connected. Like knowing and believing something can be separate somehow from what we do and how we live. So we've got Christians who live and speak contrary to the Bible. Knowingly. I'm not talking about struggling, slipping, not sure. I'm talking about knowingly speaking and living contrary to what the Bible says. They're saying, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe the Bible is God's word. But they're living openly in a way that says, well, not all of the Bible, just the, kind, the parts that I really like. I believe that there's a God in heaven and he deserves all of my time, all of me. He deserves all of me, but I'm not going to give him my time. I'm not going to give him my money. I'm not going to give him that hobby. Well, I'm definitely not going to give him my location. I'm staying here forever. See the tension? I believe that eternity is what matters, but I'm going to live objectively like this life is all that matters. I know Jesus is the hope of the world. I believe that. Have you talked to anybody about that? No. 
Now, I, I don't talk to anybody about how Jesus is the only hope of the world. You see the contradiction there? But that's the way... That's the way we live a lot of times. God's word is true, and I know his commands are primary, and I know that I need to obey. I know that, that, that peace and life and satisfaction is found in obeying the commands of God. I know that, but man, I like living with my boyfriend. And it's so much easier. I don't want to get out. I don't want to, it's going to be expensive, and it's just going to be hard, and it's going to be difficult, and I know we should get married, but I, I'm just going to stay living with my boyfriend. I'm going to keep doing it. You see what I mean? Knowing and doing in our culture, we act like those things are separate. But the Apostle Paul says, no, they're not. True belief always translates into behavior. True faith always produces action every single time. Listen, you can tell true believers from false ones this way. If they're not walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, then they have, if they're knowingly not walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, then they have no knowledge that you should want. They have no secret way to Jesus that you should listen to because they're not walking in a way worthy of the Lord. He's praying and he goes, let their spiritual wisdom produce a life that's worthy of you, O God. And then the apostle Paul continues praying. I can imagine he's praying and writing and he's going, that's going to be super difficult to live and walk in a way that's worthy of the Lord. It's impossible, in fact. And so he begins to pray, let them have this power, God. Give them this power that's beyond them, power and strength that doesn't come from them. He goes, I'm praying that you'll be, verse 11, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. He's talking about, he's talking about a battle here. He's, he's praying that they would be strong and able to endure in battle, to hold their position. The enemy was coming against them. Paul's praying for them to stand, to persevere, to not lose their footing, to plant their feet and not be moved in the middle of a battle. That's what he means by endurance. And patience, this too will pass. Patience kind of takes us back to hope. The hope that's laid up for them in heaven. He's going, let them be patient with one another. Patient with their circumstances. Patient as they wait for the blessed hope from the Lord. And in all that, he says, let joy be intertwined. Let it be done with joy. Let that endurance and that patience not spring up from begrudging submission or a bad attitude or even desperation or obligation, but from joy. Joy? How do, we, how do we stand firm and endure in a battle, in a trial, in a difficult time, and still have joy? And why would we have joy when times are tough? When the bills aren't getting paid, when the lies are winning in our minds, when despair is around the corner, when we're grieving the loss of a loved one? Why would we have joy? Because this is not all there is. Because this life is not 
the end. This is not our ending place because there's something deeper going on. Because even in the worst of times, the greatest thing has already happened to us and for us. Listen to me say this. The greatest thing that could have ever happened to anybody, anywhere, at any time has already happened to you if you've given your life over to Jesus. The greatest thing that has ever happened to anybody, anywhere, at any time, has already happened to you if you've given your life over to Jesus. Isn't that awesome? I mean, if you're a Jesus follower, that... You guys did good. Is it because I'm standing here? Is that what I have to do? I have to stand everywhere? Like, I can't be in two places at once. So... This idea that the greatest thing that has ever happened to you, the greatest thing that has ever happened to anybody, anywhere, at any time, in any place, has already happened to you if you've given your life over to Jesus. This is more exciting than a touchdown. It's more exciting than Junior getting that first base hit. It's more exciting than all of that because the greatest thing that has ever happened to anybody anywhere at any time in any place has happened to you if you've given your life over to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's awesome. This goes beyond like religion and I'm going to check a list and my wife made me come and, and like my parents went to church so I go to church and I come to church because my kids will be better people if I come. It goes beyond that. It goes beyond all of that. This is where your joy comes from. You can face anything in life because the greatest thing that has ever happened to anybody in any place at any time has already happened to you if you've given your life over to Jesus. It's an awesome truth that I hope you hold on to and get excited about. Get excited about Jesus more than about Junior hitting that base hit, all right? So you can have that joy that comes from the next verse, 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. This is what we're talking about. Has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The apostle Paul goes, oh, I pray that they would get this. I pray that no matter what, they'd have this joy and this thanksgiving because uh, they've already been delivered from the domain of darkness that they were born into and transferred into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God's son. Forgiven, redeemed, saved. Listen, We were born, you and I, not in a time of peace, but in a time of war. Let's act like it. We were born on the wrong side of the battle lines. We were born as prisoners of war, held in darkness, tortured, stuck, no hope. And what's more, you and I, we deserved it. And we were happy there, happy in our sin, happy in death, happy in all of that. With nothing to offer a hero were one to show up. Nothing to give a savior were one to show up. Death, despair, devastation, darkness. That's the reality we were born into. Not peace, but war. 
But then a rescuer did show up. And he overpowered our captors and he opened the door to our prison cell and the light began to flood the darkness and and it was blinding and it was disorienting, but it was also good. So good. And the seed of hope was planted into our hearts. Maybe the darkness isn't my eternal home after all. That rescuer is Jesus. Paul is praying that you and I would stand firm and endure, that we would have joy because of that, because we have been transferred from darkness to light. We were born on the wrong side of the battle lines, but we were rescued, and our citizenship was transferred to the kingdom of God's son. So whatever comes at us, we can face it because of that. I don't know... What exactly that lady uh, prayed for Aaron uh, in the middle of the night when, here in the States when, when Aaron was struggling in the middle of the day in China. But I imagine it was similar to what Paul prayed. I imagine she prayed that Aaron would be reminded of God's grace and peace. And I imagine that she prayed that, that she would be reminded of, of God's will for her life and that the knowledge of that will and that spiritual wisdom would reign supreme in her heart and her mind, that she would listen to spiritual wisdom over whatever other things she was hearing. I imagine she prayed that Aaron would walk out the belief, the faith that she had in her heart. She probably prayed that Aaron, this missionary in China on the other side of the world, would stand firm, endure, hold fast, and not be moved. That she would remember who she is. That she's been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of God's son. I imagine she prayed a prayer a lot like the apostle Paul prayed for the Colossian church and for you and for me. This group of believers that was being attacked by the lies of the enemy. Some of you, maybe maybe a lot of you, are being attacked in this same way. You're not sure what truth is and what it isn't. You're confused, struggling to find your purchase struggling to stand in a face in the face of all that our world is throwing at you. So as we close, let me just pray for you, the church at Great Oaks. Just like the apostle Paul prayed for the Colossian church. Let's do that. God, I pray that you would fill everyone in this room and joining us online with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, not just knowledge, Lord but spiritual wisdom. Let that spiritual wisdom lead to each of us walking in a manner worthy of you, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of you. Please, Lord, strengthen us with all power according to your glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Let us never cease in giving thanks to you who have qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. Let us find our strength, O oh God, in what you've already done for us, that you've delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved son, your beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness 
of sins. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for what you did for us on the cross. We declare you today supreme over all things. Everybody said amen. Why don't you stand with me? We're already over time, so um, you can make your way out. If you've got kids to pick up or whatever, worship team's going to lead us in one more song if you can stay. Uh, But thank you so much for coming. Make sure you go to a life group this week to talk this over. If you're not in a life group, stop at Connection Central. They'll get you plugged into one. And as always, just like today, you were helped to take your next step towards God. Don't let it stop with you. Don't let it stop with you. Help someone else this week take their next step towards God. Open the scriptures and talk about Colossians 1. Talk about grace and peace, faith, love, hope. The prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for the Colossian church and for you and me. Be a Jesus follower who makes and disciples other Jesus followers. Leave those surveys on your chairs. We'll pick them up. God bless you. Don't miss any of the Colossian series. We'll see you next week.